Over the last few decades, this third week of January, finishing on the 25th, has been kept as the week of prayer for Christian unity. Christian unity. When I was a curate back in the 1970s, this mostly meant merging churches and denominations. The different branches of the Methodist Church had already come together as one. The Presbyterian and the Congregational Churches had declared an organic merger to become the United Reformed Church and many local churches were forming LEPs, Local Ecumenical Projects. An ambitious dream was underway to unite the Church of England and Methodist churches. The problem was that these led to interminable debates as to how we could do the organising. Both churches debated their red lines, sometimes heatedly, as we dealt with divisions within our own denominations. It didn't help that the C of E already incorporated a vast swathe of doctrine ranging from ultra-Catholic, everything but the Pope, to Calvinist Reformed. We might have wanted to address the rows upon rows of excess pews designed for a typical Victorian attendance, but instead we often descended into rows upon rows, thinly papered over with a desire to find unity. In the end, the Church of England House of Clergy narrowly rejected the proposal, even though the bishops and the laity and the Methodists were in favour. The dream was never revived, partly because the local communities took the initiative. Rather than complicated proposals to square the circle, we just started doing things together. Church unity today is less about merging than working alongside each other. The Council of Churches became Churches Together, which in turn became an active and often used umbrella, launching all sorts of local caring and outreach initiatives. We discovered that together we had the people necessary to make an impact on the community, and doors began to open. Local councils and schools, no longer having to get involved in church rivalry, began to feel able to consult the churches on local issues. In one parish I was in, the local comprehensive school began accepting visits from local Christians to lead assembly when they were approached by churches together. They had barred church representatives for many years, ever since a minister had complained they were favouring one denomination over another. It had become more than it was worth to try and keep the warring parties happy. But churches together made all the difference. And moving further afield to South Sudan, where I used to work, the Council of Churches there has enormous clout. A petition for the end of conflict based on the words of Christ and signed by the leaders of every denomination in the country cannot and has not been ignored. It was when we began working together that some of us began to notice more of God in our churches. If we were cooperating in our outreach, the idea became more about a relationship with God than a recruitment drive to fill our buildings. One of the greatest initiatives was the Decade of Evangelism in 1990. It began as a Roman Catholic idea, but through the World Council of Churches, 
it came to be adopted by all the denominations. Now we were really talking about mission. It was disturbing for some, scary even. If you were around at the time, you might remember the discussion about whether the decade should end in 1999 or the year 2000. But by the time we got there, we had quite forgotten that we were supposed to stop reaching out to people at the end of the decade. It was totally unthinkable. Now mission has regained its place as a central drive of what it means to be Christian. We have come to realise that it is not about church membership so much as opening pathways for God to come and heal and transform people's lives. I believe the revival in mission has come about, among other things, because we began to allow God to do his work through us together. There are two other benefits of being together without necessarily being one organisation that I would like to mention. After all, the true church should really be an organism, a God-made body, rather than an organisation, a human-made arrangement. But time doesn't allow me to go into that here. Perhaps another time. The first benefit is that each denomination came to know the strengths of the others. The Methodist vision and ethos, for example, has a lot to teach us Anglicans. For example, a couple of weeks ago I spoke of a new covenant in Christ. The Methodists begin each new year with a covenant service in which each person makes his or her own new covenant with God, a kind of renewal of their baptismal promises, a fantastic idea. In Bridport, we, Anglicans, used to join with them in this service. And there are many other examples. Each and every denomination has some tradition to contribute that enables us to have a more rounded idea of what it means to be a Christian. The second benefit I want to mention is something for the ministers and church officials in particular. Much of the church-going public have no idea how much ministers do for each other. Most join regular informal mornings together in which they can pray and listen, laugh and cry. Being a minister can be a lonely place. You belong to a community, but you are never really a part of it. You come from outside and everyone knows you will leave it sooner or later. Sadly, some church congregations are difficult and some very unkind. I remember one minister who saw through a very difficult situation because he was upheld, encouraged and prayed for by the ministers and clergy of the other denominations in the town. His fellow, rival, ministers were far more important to him than any superintendent, archdeacon or bishop. And as for the bishops and denominational leaders, the loneliness becomes even more acute and the fellowship between them is often strong. The Church of England Diocese of Salisbury is twinned with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Evra in Normandy. And during the turbulent years of the late 1990s and early 2000s, the bishops were in constant contact, providing mutual support and comfort. The word independence is often banded about these days in politics. Independence, however, has no place in Christianity. It is a negative term. In fact, we are all dependent on others. Human beings are not like bears. 
We are designed to live in communities and it is through mutual sharing that we prosper. As I sit at my desk, I am grateful to the people who wrote, published and printed the books around me. The factory in South Korea who made my electronics and the Swedes of Ikea who designed and manufactured my furnishings, including the chair on which I sit. Lockdown has taught us just how awful it is to be on our own and how much we are to give and receive in our communities. I thank God every day that I am meant to be dependent, beginning with being dependent on every one of those we have come to call our key workers, as well as the worldwide community of scientists who have produced a vaccine in double-quick time. We are designed to be together, and I rejoice in it. In 1624, John Donne wrote, No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never sent to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And as Christians, we are happily dependent on God. It is when we become separated from him and each other that we have problems. As Christians, we are commanded to come together. And so I thank God for this week of prayer for Christian unity. And I thank God that he answers that prayer. I have seen time and time again down the years, in the places in which I have lived, the way God answers it. I glory in the way God can act to heal and tend and do awesome things among us when we put our hands together in his. May you be blessed in the projects you are involved in as a united community in your villages and beyond.